This month's podcasts are sponsored by Aubergine Legal. Do you sometimes worry that your business isn't meeting all its legal compliance requirements and wonder if you're ticking all the legal boxes? Are you losing sleep worrying about a piece of legislation that you may or may not be complying with? Perhaps you need some help with your client contracts or your data protection compliance. Or maybe you're worried that your website doesn't have the right documents or legal notices in the right place. Perhaps you have a brand that you want to protect with a trademark. How about if you could outsource it all and eliminate all of your worries? If so, then get in touch with Aubergine Legal, a friendly commercial legal consultancy offering practical and clear commercial legal advice without the overwhelming legal jargon, taking the worry away and helping you to protect your business and minimise your risks. Aubergine offers a free 30-minute consultation if you have any questions or want to find out if they can help. And you can access this link and book your free 30-minute call via the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Bring Your Product Ideas to Life podcast. Practical advice and inspiration to help you create and sell your own physical products. Here's your host, Vicky Weinberg. Today, I am so pleased and excited to have Nancy Powell from Herd join me on the podcast. Herd make hard working reusable bags from waste plastic bottles. The bags come in a range of sizes in joyful and vibrant designs. Each bag is wiped clean, has a zipped internal pocket and a double cotton handle for easy carrying. Herd was launched in 2019 by Nancy. And after working with a range of well-known brands on sustainability, Nancy took all that she learned about bags, packaging and brands to launch Herd. And she has three young children herself. I absolutely love this conversation with Nancy. We talk a lot about sustainability and creating sustainable products. Um, I found it all fascinating, interesting, and I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Well, hi, Nancy. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. Um, Can we start by you giving instructions to yourself, your business, and what you sell? Um, Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you. Um, Thank you so much for asking me to be on your podcast. That's... um, that's lovely, as I just said to you offline, that this is my first one, so this is quite an adventure for me. Um, my name is Nancy Powell. I am, am the founder of Herd Bags, and Herd Bags, in fact, this is a Herd Bag. It's um, a recycled bag. They're bags made from recycled products. Um, they are designed to be largish in size, used for swimming lessons, shopping, whatever you like. But they're sizable bags. They have internal pockets. So you can store your keys or your phone or your change or whatever. Um, but they're made from recycled materials. So the principle that you can use this bag for anything, but it is reusing what would otherwise be waste materials. And the... The other idea is that the the designs are in vibrant and joyful colours. I think lots of the things before I launched Herd, I noticed that, you know, you go to the football pitch and watch your children play football, you're at swimming lessons and everybody's got their Sainsbury Super Shopper or their Marks and Spencer Super Shopper. And um, lots of the things that we do with the bags might not be that joyful and that exciting, but I think that the bags should bring some joy and some colour and some vibrancy to, to the more mundane things that we do in life. Um, so it's, a, it's the idea of um, great, useful, helpful products, but also using um, waste materials that would otherwise just be 
bobbing in the oceans or going into landfill. Um, so I founded HERD a couple of years ago. Um, we have 10 designs now, um, and eight of them are in 100% recycled material, which is 16 plastic water bottles. There are three different sizes of bags, small, medium, and large. All have an internal pocket. And we sell online at the moment and through um, direct customers through the online store. But increasingly, we have wholesale customers. Um, lots of stores throughout the UK, um, small gift stores, um, museum gift shops, they go well in museum gift shops, increasingly stores in Asia, Japan, Conran stores in Japan stock them, um, a few stores in Korea, and recently a few more stores in the US as well. So they go through wholesale, they go direct to customer, and yes. That's, that's me. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a brilliant overview. Um, and I've got loads of questions. So I think I will start <laughs> at the beginning, if that's okay, because there's lots I'd like to talk to you about, Nancy. So can you just start by telling us, um, obviously, it's really clear sort of that, you know, what your products are for and, and and what they're about. So what was the actual inspiration to create them, though? I kind of get that you want to create something, made, you know, using recyclable material and, and bags that are useful as well as beautiful. But what inspired you to actually start that business? Oh, Lots of things. I think, um, well, my background personally was in corporate sustainability. So I worked for Sainsbury's. Um, I worked for Nestle. I worked overseas in Asia for five years. We lived in Singapore and I worked for a range of different companies there. Um, and corporate sustainability obviously looks at the sort of the whole impact of a, a company and its products. And working in retail, a lot of my time was spent on packaging and bags. I was at Sainsbury's when they did that Annie Hindmarsh, I'm Not a Plastic Bag campaign. Um, I spent a lot of time working on bags for life. Spent a lot of time looking at different packaging materials. So that was always in my, I always noticed those things. And actually, just before I started thinking very seriously about herd. We went to Australia on holiday and I noticed that it's obviously a much more outdoorsy culture. People are on the beach, people are sort of outside for leisure. And there was a much more developed line of bags like this. You know, we're using supermarket retailer branded bags, but in more outdoorsy cultures they had bags that weren't associated or affiliated with retailers they just had beautifully designed bags and I sort of had that seed in my head and then you know every household has a stash of reusable bags and I began to really notice um my husband would always go for the, the same bags and there were particular things that he was going for there was one that had a double handle that he really liked um, I always knew that my personal preferences was to find one with a pocket because, you know, if you need a pound for the swimming locker and stuff like that. So I could see even in our pile of Sainsbury's or Marks and Spencer super shoppers, we had preferences. And I began to think, actually, it doesn't need to be a supermarket or retailer led product. Um, you could actually, you know, enhance it considerably by taking your favorite attributes from the bags that you do have and putting it into one. And that sort of background, those observations coincided very much with a point in my life and 
career, I suppose, where we had come back from living in Asia. I had worked sort of full time throughout. I started doing, um, taking contract roles where I do a year working um, in businesses on corporate sustainability. And um, I had sort of finished a contract, come up for a new contract. And um, the recruiter who had been finding me these positions, I had had a really flexible arrangement. I also have, I should say, I have three children. Um, and at, they're now 11, 9 and 6. But at the time, you know, they were obviously a couple of years younger than that. And I remember the recruiter actually saying to me that... Um, I had a flexible working arrangement in my last contract. And, you know, if I wanted a flexible working arrangement, I really would need to take a pay cut. And I remember feeling absolutely outraged because I felt like, well, how, how could I need to take a pay cut? I, my, my experience and my professional skills growing, why would I take a pay cut for working the same hours, for asking to start a couple of hours sooner and get home for pickup? And I'd also, I, I began to, I suppose I just began to feel that I needed flexibility because I, because I had a young family, but that I was ambitious and I had things that I wanted to achieve professionally. And I think like many of the women I have met subsequent to starting my own business, I realised that. I would need to give myself the opportunities that I was looking for because they weren't necessarily going to come to me through a professional environment that I was working in at the time. And it's, it's one of the things that I sort of often say to, you know, there are people who, who, have, you know, who call me now and again, much younger women asking for pointers and experience, you know, tips and how did I know? And I thought, well, I didn't know. It's just that, things combined um circumstances sort of seem to point in the direction that you don't need to be sort of through and through entrepreneur who has this in their blood you just need to reach a point where you think actually I've got a good idea I'm going to go for it so I did thank you and had that idea been brewing for a while has it was it something that's been in the back of your mind while you were still taking on these contracts um I've always loved bags I have um I have always I'm not a sort of particularly fashion conscious person I've never been particularly um you know following of trends but one of the things that I've always loved is bags bags that work have given me sort of particular joy I think bags are something that can lift a, lift an outfit you don't have to try them on. <laughs> They're never going to be too tight. You're never going to feel bad in them. I've always felt very excited by bags as a product. And I think that, um, I think the idea that I would, you know, if, if I was going to have a company and if I was going to do my own thing, it would be bags, um, was, was always a very sensible sort of point for me. So when I toyed with ideas in the past, um, it had always been around bags. Um, it's just that, you know, the, the, the sort of the setup costs and the, you know, the idea of doing like mainstream bags was at the time very inhibiting. But actually, 
then when I put together my packaging and materials experience and my my passion for for bags and accessories I was kind of like well hang on I don't need to you know I don't need to go in at the top of the market I actually need to go in at the most democratic point in the market which is bags that everyone use every single day so so yeah I mean I think I had the idea to have a bag business had, had been percolating yeah and I guess the timing just everything just came together everything sort of seemed to and I also think I don't know if this is just for women or or everyone but you do reach a point in your life um I turned 40 actually the year that I launched Herd and I do think there is something about a point in your life where you think do you know what I've got enough experience under my belt I've probably got enough confidence I'm just going to go for it absolutely and I'd love to talk a bit about how you actually went about designing and producing the bags and so and and I guess a question before that is was the idea from the outset to have some recyclable content within the bags so were they always designed to be made of recyclable materials because I'm I'm just I'm only asking that because I'm guessing that that gave you perhaps some additional challenges along the way or maybe not Um I, I knew, well, I knew before I started that it was, it was going to be fundamental. I mean, I think sustainability, and that's used to cover like an enormous uh, assortment of issues and um, products and corporate directions. But I always knew that sustainability would need to be, and I would want it to be a key aspect of the brand, because I think that... Um, Certainly working as I have in big businesses where you have an established way of doing things or set of products and you're then and you're now operating in an era where you're trying to adjust that offering and that business to be um, sustainable because, you know, wherever you sit on this, it's absolutely fundamental that your business you know, whether when whether we're reporting, whether big businesses are reporting on carbon there, they will be very, very soon. Um, there would be no point setting up a business which hadn't already answered these questions. You know, the opportunity in starting from scratch is to start the way you want it to be. You don't have any of that legacy. You don't have any of the, well, this is how we've always done it. You can just do it the way you want it. And I knew that it being um, from recycled materials was absolutely going to be essential. So yes, I mean, in terms of finding the suppliers and finding the materials you wanted to work with and the people you wanted to work with, um, is it more difficult? No, because I think if you're very clear from the outset around you know, what, your, um, what your priorities are and what are your absolute non-negotiables, then then you then you never have the conversations with the people that might have provided you with something different. So in in a way it always is. I always felt that, you know, one of the disadvantages some of the other brands, particularly the ones that I'd looked at overseas had, was that they weren't recycled materials. And I felt like it was I I felt like it was a, a miss. I, I felt for great products actually that was simply the build that they that they needed to make. So as I was starting a business from scratch, that's where I would start so it was it was never something that was um 
And also, you know, one of the things about plastic is that there is a lot of plastic in the world and um, that's already made, that already exists. And when I first started, what I actually um, did was I contacted farms and building merchants to ask if they could provide me with um, waste feed sacks. You know, because the, the material that is in the bags is essentially the same material that if you buy a ton of sand or if you buy a ton of animal feed, it's the same material. And my initial idea was, could I take that material directly from the farming or building industry and recycle it into a product? Um, well, I couldn't um, for a variety of, of different reasons. And one of the major um, issues was, uh, getting the recycled material the, the bags the recycled material that comes from china because china buys most of the waste plastic of the world although it stopped doing so um so lots of those materials are available very readily from from china um but i think i had always felt it had to be recycled material because why would you just bring more plastic in so that was a, a no-brainer starting point first part of your question was around you know how to design and um create the product well um I'm extremely fortunate in that my husband works in advertising and he works with a lot of freelancers and so I had said to him I want a product designer um who is in a very similar position to me who is um, a woman who's working freelance, who's looking to balance whatever commitments, might be children, might be other commitments, um, but is not in mainstream work because can't make that work. So Rich, my husband, was kind of like, okay, I'll, you know, I'll have a look around and ask and see if anybody knows. And I've, I've basically met all of the contacts and all of the people that I've worked with through, not through my husband, but through similar means, which is basically saying, I would like to, you know, basically work with and employ and put money into the hands of women who are trying to make their professional lives work because the mainstream hasn't necessarily been able to accommodate the multiple things in their lives that they're balancing. And so that's how I met my designer. And um, in fact, the first person I was put in touch with was literally just about to have a second baby. And she said, it's not me, I can't do it at the moment, but let me put you in touch with this other lady. The only thing is she's in Brazil. And I was like, well, I guess that's not a problem. I mean, we're not sitting in an office, so it doesn't matter if she's in, you know, if she's in London or if she's in Brazil. And that was how it started. Um, I started sort of providing her a brief, she fulfilled it um, and we have worked together since. And, you know, we've met a couple of times for drinks in London when she's flying through, but she's now in Mexico. She travels, we, you know, we're either Zooming or WhatsApping or emailing and make it work. 
That's brilliant. Thank you. And it's thank you for explaining all of that. And for also, I mean, I had a bit of a misconception that using recycled materials, as I explained, I thought might have given you extra challenges. And I think it's fantastic to hear that it didn't. Because I think for yeah. anyone who has a similar idea or, you know, not necessarily bags, but anyone who wants to do something sustainably and use recyclable materials, I guess, could also be thinking, well, actually, that might be a challenge. So it's good to know that it that it wasn't. For sure. I mean, it's much harder to do it retrospectively, right? Absolutely. If you if you start as you well, start as you mean to go on, then um, actually... And, and one of the things I would add to that is once you begin to, once you find suppliers or once you establish relationships and people know what you're looking for, other people find you. So, you know, when I said to my manufacturer, um, you know, with my first manufacturing run, it was, I think, 45% recycled content. And I had said to them when I first, when I did that first run, my, my ambition is to get to 100% within at least two or three manufacturing runs. And they were sort of like, oh, okay, um, right. And then they very quickly came back to me and said, listen, we've got this other product that we could sample for you. It's 100%. We haven't done it with anyone else. Would you be interested in doing some product sampling with it? Because as soon as people know where you are and what you're thinking and what you want then ideas tend to find you they tend to think oh actually I know Nancy's looking for x why don't we approach her with that so I think if you're clear what it is you're looking for what's important to you and your brand then often you know you don't have to do that much work for the things to to come to you has been my experience I think you're right. And and also, once you've built a relationship with a supplier as well, and you're working well together, um, to have to start again to look for somebody different, because perhaps the first supplier couldn't do what you wanted. It's a, it's a bit of a process, yeah. isn't it? To get to that stage where you're working well together, and you're sharing ideas, and they're happy to come to you. It, it takes a while. Um, There's so much invested in those relationships, isn't there? There is. How did you go about finding um, your manufacturers out of interest, Nancy? Oh, um, well, I did lots of research. So first of all, I was researching in the UK because from a, um, from a convenience logistics footprint perspective, obviously the UK would be ideal. But we, whilst we do manufacture woven PP, and I spoke to lots of companies that did it, we don't manufacture it um, in a printed form. So we manufacture the sacks that would be used commercially, but we don't then go on to make finished products from it. Um, and wherever I, you know, all my research pointed to China and um, a couple in Vietnam who I got in touch with. And also, I mean, I, I, I used lots of my contacts from Sainsbury's, from Aldi, from Marks and Spencer's, people who I had worked with previously that I knew were still operating in those sort of packaging groups. Now, there were operators in Germany and uh, Spain who I approached because again logistically they were closer because they were Europe but they were printing um, for companies like Marks and Spencer's and, and they were printing in volumes your minimum order quantities were off the scale so they weren't going to be feasible manufacturers for me 
but I did begin to get a few quotes from China and I felt some, I mean, I had worked in Singapore and I had worked in China whilst I had worked in Singapore. And I thought, you know, how do I go about this? How do I set up that relationship? And so I actually contacted the British Chamber of Commerce in China to say, listen, I have found a series of manufacturers that I would like to do business with. Um, what is the best way for me to do this? Do I just ring them up? <laughs> do I just, you know, email them? How, should, how does this work? And they actually were super helpful, came back to me and said, we, there are a series of brokers that you could use. Um, there are some in the UK who are already have very well-established manufacturing operations and work with China. And it's through one of those. So my manufacturer is essentially a company in Nottingham who work with China. And so we have this sort of three-way relationship where for sort of design and sampling, we're very much working as a team, but all of the logistics is handled from Nottingham. So I don't have to deal with the shipping, which in the last nine months, <laughs> I have been extremely relieved not to have to deal with because, you know, with Brexit, with coronavirus, with everything, the, the world of logistics and shipping has been an extremely difficult one. Um, and so that's, that's how I set up my manufacturing relationship. And it's, it is, you know, like you point out that the relationship is hard, you know, it's, it's well won. You know, you, you put in the time, you explain what you want, you do samples which don't work, but, you know, you do begin to get a feel for the people that you want to work with. And this is one of the joys of running your own business is that you choose who you work with. <laughs> you choose, you know, who you collaborate with, who you, you know, who you jive off. All of that stuff is totally your choice. And I, I find that one of the most liberating aspects of running my own business is that I work with brilliant people and I work with people that I've absolutely chosen to work with. And it's a joy. So, um, so yes, my manufacturing relationship has been, um, has been a really, really helpful one. And I think they show, I mean, they're obviously a much bigger business than I am, but they are massively supportive in terms of, you know, helping me achieve what I set out to achieve. And I, I think this is one of the things that, you know, if you're a small business trying to do good things, you can't often do them first time off the bat because you don't have any leverage. You're untested. You don't have a you don't necessarily have a huge customer base. Your brand isn't known. And, you know, if, if, you, if you, you feel like you want to go further quicker, but you realize, you know, I'm not a big player. I'm not Marks and Spencers. I can't walk in and say, I only want, you know, I want this, this and this and that's it. You, you have to build that relationship and they have to have confidence in you that you'll pay your bills that you'll provide artwork in the way that they want artwork. And, you know, it, it, it's not every company that actually wants to work with small businesses. Um, so, you know, whilst you know, not all the control has been with me in the sense that, you know, there are lots of people who didn't even want to do a quote for me, didn't, weren't interested in, because the, the quantities were too small for them. So, you know, 
there's another side to it as well is while I want my supplier to achieve X, Y, and Z in terms of service level, I'm also grateful that they're prepared to do really small manufacturing runs for a small business to see if it can grow and to see if I can create a market for products that they're not yet making for other people. Thank you so much for explaining that. And I've actually haven't spoken to anyone yet who's found their manufacturing the way that you have. And I think that's, I think hopefully that's going to be really useful to someone listening. Um, Because to me, it just sounds really nice that you don't necessarily have to sort of have the direct contact with the factory because I guess some of the ins and outs I think that's one of the things that's hard um when it's your own product if you're the one dealing with the factory you do have to get into some detail that actually you're you don't know much about this has certainly been been my experience (laughs) um in terms of the manufacturing and the shipping um you know, you're not always the best placed person to make some of these decisions. Um, I totally agree. You have to you have to know where you're expert and where you're not and take the expertise where it's offered from other people. That's, that sounds like a brilliant way of going about it. And I really hope that someone finds that useful. Um, <laughs> and talking about sort of choosing who you work with, I know now that you have a team based all around the world. Um, so I'd love to talk a bit more about, about how you about how you manage that because I guess now we're all we're living in a world where we're all working virtually or a lot more of us are working virtually and working flexibly so it'd be good to talk about that um well it's a kind of it's interesting isn't it because the pandemic has got um everyone doing what I was already doing anyway and and many of my sort of female entrepreneur peers were already doing I think there's um In terms of how I've established my network, a huge amount of it's done on relationships. You know, you you get a feel for people. And I think that, you know, I've met very few of the people that I work with in in real life. I've, you know, and and that was sort of by virtue of starting a business from home. And then secondly, you know, very shortly after starting it, there being a global pandemic where no one was meeting anyway and actually it's been no obstacle to me building a business and building relationships because essentially the relationships the successful working relationships I have are built on um, people doing great work delivering it on time um, and being collaborative in, in the way that they work. And I think that, you know, you, like when I started with my designer, I felt, you know, we were both unknown to each other. And I felt very clear that the responsibility was on me to provide a brief that was absolutely watertight, that was really, really clear. There could be no, you know, I needed her to understand exactly what it is I wanted in the dimensions that I wanted, what I was looking for. And obviously, since then, we've got a much better feel for each other. And she can now anticipate what it is I want. And if she's got designs that she's been working on, she'll ping a a few through to me and sort of say, I really like this. I I was in California. I saw these colors. I thought this was really great. What do you think? And, you know, but that takes time to establish. That's something that comes with, with time. But, and often relationships find you. I find, I mean, social media I, is, a, 
is a double-edged sword. But one of the things that I have found through Instagram is um, access to a community of, you know, women running small businesses, um, establishing relationships and giving each other a help and helping hand. One of the things, you know, lots of people have found me, you know, one of the things I wanted to do for my second summer was photo shoots with much more lifestyle photography. Um, and then obviously the pandemic happened and I thought, well, we can't do photo shoots. So actually some of the people who had got in touch with me through Instagram, I created a photo brief, put a budget against it and got back in touch with them and said, listen, you know, I love the images you've got on Instagram. You're a stylist. If I send you some product and um, a brief and, you know, obviously pay you, would you be happy to create some content for me? And I think it's, it's one of those things that I certainly feel like female entrepreneurs do very well is work very laterally and kind of go, oh, hang on a second, she's doing this. That's kind of like what I'm trying to achieve. Could we work together on that? Um, word of mouth is another strong thing. You know, we're both members of um, Silka's Raise Up Mums business community. I'm very quick to go through that community and um, find photographers, for example. So two of my photographers have come from that group. Um, and, you know, during lockdown, I would drop bags into one of the photographers' porch. Um, she'd do a photo product shoot for them, put them back in her porch. I would retrieve the bags, still never meeting. And that's, you know, that's just how... Um, I think this community of micro and small businesses is beginning to emerge from flexible working. And I, I find it hugely exciting that we can all kind of go, well, actually, it's not that conventional. And it seems to work. It certainly works for me. My, again, my accountants, my bookkeepers are people that I've found through women's business groups. Um, and through recommendations from other um, women entrepreneurs. And I'm, you know, you have a couple of phone calls with them, you have conversations and you think actually, you know, this, this is a good relationship, I'm happy to go with it. So it's very informal, um, but it works. It certainly works for me. Yeah, thank you. And me too, actually. And I find that, I find that women in business generally are, are really good at collaborating. Mm. I find and, and being creative as well, like you say, finding creative ways of of working. And yeah, I think I definitely feel there's a big spirit of, of collaboration and people thinking, oh yeah, we could do this together, or I could recommend this person to you. That's definitely the experience I've had, and I hope that others have had that same experience because it feels yeah. very supportive and supported. It really does. It really does. And it's, um, you know, there are plenty of people who have, you know, there are people who have bought bags as customers and who have great Instagram followings and are really happy to, for nothing, and talk about the product. And I know they're making content and, you know, they're, they're, they've got, they've got, sort of to find fresh things to talk about and stuff but there is a real sense of 
actually how can we all you know create a rising tide that brings all boats up here and I really you know second what you're saying it's it, it feels very much like that but finding people who are willing to collaborate and support you and you know there are people who did images way back when and you know still you post now and they'll repost things for you or I, I, it's, it's, it's really encouraging and I've experienced none of the opposite. You know, I, I certainly don't feel any great sort of competition or, or challenge from other businesses. It's, it's a really, really vibrant and exciting environment. And I think, you know, there are certainly things that I'm conscious of in terms of, you know, there's another side to social media, which is very judgmental and unpleasant. There's also, um, aside social media which is very white and very middle class and I kind of I realize that sometimes I look and think you know oh this, I'm, I'm in a bit of a bubble here how, how do we how do we sort of disrupt that a bit and make it you know make sure that we're checking ourselves on this stuff but I think it's a good environment it's a good environment and I've certainly found it very supportive in building my business and I hope that I keep sort of thinking, oh, actually, how can I support others? And how can I support others that I'm not necessarily seeing in my own ecosystem as well? Yeah, thank you. And as you do have a, a team, do you have any sort of advice on on working on working with a remote team? Because I, I believe everyone you work with, you work with remotely at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, except my husband. Um, <laughs> he, uh, I still... Um, get all of his advertising knowledge out of his head frequently um any advice on working with people remotely um I think lots of the you know there's, there's lots of there's lots of conversations around this um in the public domain at the moment because obviously we're at this we're at this moment in time where everyone's trying to decide what, what going back to normal is going to look like and whether that's going to be people going back into offices, whether it's going to be people staying at home or whether it's going to be a hybrid of the two. And lots of the issues that people bring up in those discussions around um, motivating people, making people feel included in something, um, making sure people are working and not you know, slacking off, uh, holding people to account, productivity, all those kinds of things. And I listen to those conversations and I, I kind of feel like that doesn't reflect the experience I have of remote working. Um, I work with women who are accountable, adult, um, juggling a very diverse load from their family lives through to their working lives through to everything in between and largely doing that very successfully um I don't you know they're very motivated many of them are very motivated because they are you know very empowered to build their own businesses and do the work that they choose to work I firmly believe in paying people even if you know if they're if they're people who want product you know people who just contact me saying can I have some free product and take photos I say like well okay there's a standard fee you know this is this is how much I pay for that um 
because I think if you pay people, you can be very clear about what you expect for what you pay. Um, and I also think that paying creative people and particularly paying women is essential. I think there's also a bit of a culture on Instagram and more broadly where there's a sense that lots of people should be really happy to have the opportunity to do something um, because it's good for their profile. And I think whilst that may be true, women, everyone should be paid for their time and the work that they do. And I think that makes relationships very clear. Um, so in terms of, of working with people, I think like I've alluded to, the group that I work with time and time again are people that I work with time and time again because we've successfully found a working relationship where um, they feel that they're paid for their time. I feel really happy with the work that they provide and do. And we enjoy working with each other as a team. Um, if that wasn't the case, then I probably wouldn't repeat the experience. I would probably just chalk it up to experience and go, you know, I would, I would take that opportunity elsewhere next time. Um, but I'm, you know, I think, I think you do reach a certain point in life. I'm sounding like a very old person, but I do think you reach a certain point in life where you feel pretty confident in who you're going to work well with and how it's going to work and what their expectations are, what your expectations are. And, you know, certainly the more you can be absolutely buttoned down in the detail with briefs, with clarity around what you expect and what the reward is, then there are very few areas for confusion. And as long as you're a communicator as well, I think one of the things that women are really happy to sort of say, it's not quite right or I was a bit surprised or da, da, da. I think women certainly the ones I've dealt with dealt with and work with are kind of like you know I'm happy to have a discussion about you know outputs or what's going on or what's not quite right in this and so there's no sort of you know mystery yeah. I think if you're open and frank in your relationships then it generally does work well. Yeah, thank you for that. Now, I'd like to change the topic, if you don't mind, Nancy, and talk a bit more about sustainability. Because yeah. I'm, you know, when I've looked into you and I've looked into hers, I'm really impressed about all that you're doing here. So I'd love if you could explain some of the things that you're doing um, and why and, and how. Just I think it's really interesting. Well, thank you. It's, um, I think it's, you know, I mean, I've, I've already said this, but I, I think it's a total non-negotiable. And I, I, certainly feel that the, the direction of travel for every business is is this way you know there is a a climate crisis there is a, a huge amount of uh pressure on the resources that we have and on the way that we're using them and you know i think it's a license to operate issue you you have to be at least aware of the impact of your product. And I had that mindset before I set up Herd and I've brought that mindset into Herd. I wanted the bags to be made from recycled content. 
content. And that was my sort of primary starting point. And we've got to that point. The bags are now 100% recycled content, which is 16 plastic water bottles. My next, um, my, my next sort of ambition is to actually close the loop on the product altogether, by which I mean, I, for each bag that I sell, I um, pay to have a kilo of ocean plastic lifted from the ocean through a third party, which is uh, an NGO called Empower. And the customers who buy um, the product from um, the online store receive a link to uh, a dashboard which tracks the progress of that ocean plastic clearance with their purchase. So for each bag, there's a kilo of ocean plastic being lifted from the oceans. Now, the next step to that, um, which is something I'm currently working on, is to then ring fence that plastic that is being lifted from the ocean on behalf of herd customers. And for that plastic to be pelletized and put back into the manufacture of herd bags so that the loop is completely closed, so that the the plastic that is being used in herd bags is going, and and that is, it's it's a tidy and it's a perfect communication story. And um, certainly from my former life, that's how I would have wanted it. Now, lots of the opportunities that you get along the way um, don't always lead to that perfect story. For example, the factory that I work with in China actually um, came back to myself and my um, manufacturer to say, you know, actually there's a lot of plastic clearance that is coming from some of the rivers that are in our region. Should we, you know, should we use that? Um, is that the kind of, you know, is that the kind of material that your, your customers are looking for? Now, 10%, or it might even be 20% of the ocean plastic in the ocean comes from Chinese rivers. So there are so many good things about this. First of all, a manufacturer is going, hang on a second, we have a customer who's interested in this, we have this problem here, let's bring those two things together and create a solution. It's fantastic. Obviously it compromises that perfect circle of communications because you're not creating the closed loop. But this is what I also mean about opportunities coming to you once you're very clear about what it is you're really, really keen to do. Companies then saying, well, hang on a second, this is an opportunity that you should look at. This is something we're doing over here. Might you be interested in it? So that's one of the um, issues is, is in the manufacture. The second is in the end of life. So herd bags are designed to be um, reusable bags, but they're not designed to last forever. So they will reach a point where they've reached the end of their life and you want to recycle them. So what I do for my customers is they send the bag back to me at my cost, I pay for shipping, and they get a discount code to get 50% off their next bag. Now, what I'm seeking to do at the moment is that I can either recycle them just into general recycling, although you can't recycle them on sort of high street facilities, although that will come, you know, with the likes of supermarket retailers, they'll look at different ways of doing that. But what I'm also looking to do is to put the 
recycled bags into new products. So for example, one of the things that I'm sampling at the moment is taking those recycled bags and reformulating them into coasters. Um, so they could be drinks coasters uh, when they are mixed together and reformed. Um, so for example, if I show you, I've got this, which is a, this is not recycled plastic, it's jasmineite, but it's a similar thing, is that you would take all of these different plastic components, which chip down into small things like this, um, and you create another product and you give it another life. And obviously the life of this is gonna be much longer than, than the life of a, a bag. So that's another thing I'm looking at. Another thing that um, I just received hot off the press are towels, which are, um, again, they have a 45% recycled plastic polymer in them. And the other opportunity I see, one of the opportunities I see for the brand is diffusing into other waste materials, products which come from other waste materials. I mean, I've already spoken about my heart line very much in bags, but where you can keep um, a plastic or a material going by giving it another life would equally be, you know, be of interest to me. And whether that's through coasters or towels or other things, then, you know, that is something that I'm very keen to do. And I think that, you know, sustainability is, is going to require a lot of creative thinking. It's going to require people to collaborate in the way that we've already been talking about, which is kind of going, well, hang on, I could use your waste. I could do this with that. Um, and, you know, another thing that I've got is I have a number of faulty bags that arrive and the handle might have been stitched on the wrong way round or um, they have minor faults, which mean that you couldn't retail them as you would the others, but they're still perfectly usable bags. Now to date, those have been going to the hygiene bank. But what I'm also looking at doing is I found a local, um, a, a local woman who can cut them down and turn them into kind of A5 pouches that you might put sunscreens in, that you might put wet swimwear in, that you might put food in, but just a small pouch that you could put inside another bag, which means that those bags with faults, small faults, can still have a life in another form. So, you know, and, and another thing would be that we don't have seasons. I just buy bags, not have designs, manufacture those designs, sell them, and when they're gone, they're gone, and I make new ones. But I don't have seasons because that sense that there has to be a kind of seasonal switch and feeding an appetite for continual change is one of the things that I'm keen to avoid. So on multiple fronts, sustainability is, I think, about lateral thinking, as little waste as possible, and that makes commercial sense, right? You don't want to, you know, you want to make everything work as hard as it can for you. And the upshot of that is that it's it's good for our environment and it's 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 good for the planet ultimately. And every business needs to be thinking like that. Thank you so much. I think you've definitely given us something to think about there. I'm really impressed by all that you're doing and sort of the because I do think you have to think quite creatively 
to come up with some of these solutions. And I know you've said you've had input from your manufacturers as well, which is fantastic. You've had these opportunities presented to you. But as you touched on earlier, I think you've had these opportunities presented because you've been really clear about what it is you want to achieve. So that hasn't happened by accident. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's really inspiring. Thank you for sharing that. My pleasure. Um, so we're going to change the subject for a final time. Time we are I, um, we are getting towards the end of our time together, and I do appreciate how long you spent here. Um, the final thing I'd just like to ask you about is I've I've seen that you are stocked. In fact, you touched on this earlier that your products are stocked worldwide. You're starting to wholesale, and I just wondered if we could talk just very briefly about wholesale and any uh, advice you have there perhaps how you went about it as I know that it's something that lots of product businesses are interested in but it can feel a bit daunting can't it and it would just be good to know how you went about it and yeah any advice that you have um wholesale wholesale is an interesting one I think um one of the key things that I've done and this is sort of is that I've advertised from the outset so and advertising has driven sales uh, and I've advertised I've generated ad sets which generally go on Instagram and Facebook but I'm increasingly looking to Pinterest um, because I like Pinterest and um, I don't like Facebook and one of the interesting things about advertising is that obviously it generates sales, but it also brings a lot of other people to you. So most of the PR I've had has been people seeing the brand advertised in the Instagram feed and lots of the wholesale I've had have been people seeing adverts for the brand. So a lot of it has come to me and I have not been proactive. Now, the first person, um, when I just launched, when I launched the business, all I had done, or all my thinking had been absolutely around creating an online store, using Shopify, building the store, getting my product to the place that I wanted it to be. And I had no experience wholesale and it hadn't really been on my radar. And then I launched the brand, sales began to grow. And then a wonderful retailer who retailed the Alteringham Market, um, Lucy Emsley, contacted me and just said, oh, hi, senior products, wondered if you offered them wholesale. Um, and I emailed her back and said, I literally don't even know what that means how does this normally work? And she said, shall we have a phone call? So I had a phone call with her. She obviously stocks a number of different brands. And she said, well, it normally works like this. You know, you sell your product for um, sort of 2.1 divisible of the retail price. You create a line sheet and minimum order quantities. Um, You then agree whether they pay for shipping, you pay for shipping, or you split the cost. Um, you can have it on sale or return, but that's probably not in your interest. Um, and she was an oracle because I knew nothing. And so I said, well, listen, I haven't done this before. I'm really happy to, you know, sell you some products and see where we go from there. And 
so I did that with her and then increasingly I got more brands approaching me about wholesale and I've applied exactly the same thinking to each of those relationships um and it's worked very well now often when you get big brands come to you they it's not a negotiation it's a and, and but it's but it's great because certainly if you're getting big box retailers, I mean, the one issue that is often a stumbling block with almost every, particularly if you're talking about global and particularly if you're talking in the current market, wholesalers is logistics and the cost of shipping. Now, if you're talking about big box retailers in the US or Japan or places like that, their logistics is, is built in. So they'll basically just say, we will cover shipping. You just need to you know, we're just buying the product, the shipping is, is on us, which is like a dream come true because that puts all the headache of, all the headache and the cost of global shipping with them. Um, now, my experience has been, and every sort of person running their own business as a one person band will appreciate this, is that there are areas that you're sort of very able in and that you have a lot of experience in and there are areas that you don't and that are blind spots. And one of the things sort of certainly on my to-do list is to begin to be more proactive in wholesale in the sense of beginning to target places where I would really like to be a wholesaler in the same way that I would, um, you know, in that I might target PR, you know, creating a, a bespoke offer, um, a, a package. One of the great things about my product um, is that it's very visual. So it's lended itself very well to advertising and it's, it's very easy to understand. There's, there's very little story and there's very little to say about it. it. It often sells itself in an image and that has been a real, and, and that would really encourage me to say that the quality of your photography is so important. If you can get the attributes of your product depicted in a very visual way, it does you a huge service because you have microseconds in front of whether it's a buyer or a journalist or whoever attention you're trying to get. Um, I have done, as with PR as well, I've done very little proactive, but what I have done is get addresses and names of fashion journalists I really like. And I've done mail drops. I've, I've, I've stood at loading bays with courier cyclists with their helmets on delivering parcels just to drop in my herd bag to go to the, the journalist upstairs. And sometimes I've heard nothing and sometimes, you know, it's been in an article and it's just the luck of the draw. But one of the things I would say is that if through advertising, lots of people have come to me and one of the challenges I think for you know the next year or so is for me to be more proactive in determining okay who would I now like to approach how will I do that um where do I feel like I should be stocked and you know go accordingly another thing that exists for the increasingly are the platforms so in the absence of trade shows which I've never been to um there are these platforms where um so there's one i've just signed up for in the u.s called fair f-a-i-r-e where um you know all of the stores in america can 
access a number of different brands through this one platform and shop for them. And so I've seen an increasing amount of US wholesale trade. Now, obviously, they take a big slug um, of commission from you, but they also make the process quite streamlined and they put you into stores that you otherwise wouldn't have contact with. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm living and learning with wholesale. And, um, but again, you know, I've worked with lots of people where, I've set, where I'm, I'm very happy to say, I haven't done this before, uh, in principle, super keen. How do you think it would work? What do you need to get from it? What do I need to get from it? Cool, let's go for it. Um, I also think, and I, I'm going to make this a female trait, so that's probably very sexist. I think that um, I think that women, and certainly the sort of group that I work with, uh, don't see kind of uh, success in a much broader way than simply profit. I think the way that you kind of, you know, the relationships you develop, the access you get, um, obviously your sales, but I think the picture is, I see the picture as much bigger than simply what are the profit, what do the profits look like? Um, so yeah, that was a very long answer. To your no, thank you. No, that's really useful. Thank you. And, and uh, you shared a lot there. And one of the key things I actually picked up on was, you know, not being afraid to say, I don't know. Can you tell, you know, rather than, you know, rather than putting yourself in a position where someone asks you to wholesale and you say yes, and you go straight on Google to work out what that is and what you have to do. I think there's a lot <laughs> to be said for being open and saying yes, but you know I don't know and can you help me and I think the, you know the, the right people for you will be open to saying yes I'll explain that to you and this is you know and they will give you their time um and I think that's I think that's a nice sort of thing to to realize as well that you don't have to sort of pretend that you're the expert in everything and it is actually okay to ask for help or clarification sure. or whatever it is I I totally would would encourage people to do that because also when they're telling you you will understand from their answer what they need to get from the relationship, what they need, what needs to be in place for it to work for them. And you get to understand the transaction and how, how the dynamic needs to be established. Otherwise, you, you never will. And it's, it's, it's very liberating. And I think that, um, you know, I said this so many times already, but you do reach a certain point where you kind of feel like I don't, you know, it's okay to not be brilliant at everything. And it's not okay to not have the answers. I've got enough that I'm good at that I, that I can talk about and I can be very open about what I'm not good at and where I'm going to need to ask questions. Um, and that's okay. It's totally okay. And if if people and people respond very well to that, I think that you know, asking questions and bringing conversations often down to the lowest common denominator can be very liberating for everyone. Because, like every professional environment, there's a there's a jargon, there's a there's a way that things work that can you can feel like, oh my god, I don't know, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. When somebody first said do you have an MOQ? I thought, what is an MOQ? Um, Google MOQ, minimum order quantity. Okay. And um, 
you just go back, well, no, should I? Um, people kind of write back, haha. Um, yeah, probably want to think about it. But for most wholesale customers, I would say my, min my minimum order quantity would probably be 10 by per design. But I would also say if you're testing this with your customers and you haven't bought from me before, buy whatever you like. Um, and, you know, second purchase. And it's, it's like that with everything, whether it's people you work with, whether it's people who buy from you, you know, it doesn't work the first time round. Walk away. I think, you know, if, if, if they don't buy your minimum order quantities and they dip their toe in the water and it doesn't work, that's fine. It's, it's, all just, it's all just an experiment. And you can just chalk up mistakes to experience. That's what I'm getting very good at. Thank you so much. I really hope that's given people some confidence because I think part of this does come down to confidence. I know yeah. that when I started my business, I definitely was in a position where I was almost afraid to say it's just me and I do everything and I'm only good at half of it. Um, I just I didn't feel that I could say that. Um, I felt mm. like I should know it all. And looking back, I mean, why? There was no there was no expectation that, that wherever you are and you're, you're never going to know everything and it's okay no. to ask questions I don't know why I ever thought that um but certainly it's much more liberating when you reach a place where you you're okay to say actually I don't know what you mean or actually I've never done that um I just think it's much, a much more honest way and yeah I just think it's I, th I feel much more at ease being able to say actually no I don't know that yeah no I I, I totally agree I think that um I think that the the ability to sort of say, you know, I haven't understood that or haven't done that before, but I'm open to it. Um, tell me how you think it would work. Um, it's, it's actually really powerful. I mean, you're in a conversation with someone because both of you think there's an opportunity. Um, and if the other person genuinely thinks there's an opportunity, they've got an interest in making sure that, you know, you're on the same page. And I've, I've certainly become more confident. And I think that, you know, I think that is running your own business is that, you know, nobody's observing me. If people think that, you know, I've not done something well, I'm, good guy. I'm the first person to give myself a hard time. If I think I've made a poor judgment or, I didn't get the detail I needed or somebody asks you a question and you think, God, that's such an obvious question. And I didn't ask that in the conversation. Um, you know, it's all experience and you will do next time. And I'm the, you know, nobody will be harder on you than you'll be on yourself. So just, you know, just be open about stuff. People really appreciate it in my experience. Yeah. Thank you for that. And I guess one final question before we finish, if that's okay, Nancy, because um, I know I've taken up so much of your time, I really do appreciate this, is what <laughs> would your number one piece of advice be for someone else looking to start creating their own products? Oh, I was thinking about this. Um, now, I am a massive inhaler of podcasts. I do a lot of like product preparation. And when I do, I stick my earpods in and I listen to all kinds of different people. And somebody that I've started listening to, listening to recently, I don't know if you've heard of him, Seth Godin. Yes, I have. Yes. Um, and he's recently written a book and it's, I find it very, again, very liberating, very much in a similar theme to, you know, what we've just been discussing about kind of being, you know, being comfortable with the fact that 
you don't and aren't expected to have the answer to everything or know everything or be brilliant at everything. And one of the things that repeatedly comes up in his podcast and everything he talks about is the expression ship the work. And this is something that I would, you know, I would really say to people who are at this point where they're thinking, should I, shouldn't I, you know, and it, it, it very much aligns with the expression, perfect, I think it's perfectionism is the enemy of done. It's that idea that um, you have to be 100% ready to do it and you have to have all the I's dotted and T's crossed. And what I would probably say is if you have a product that you really, really think is good, that excites you, that if your customer knew everything about it, that you know about it, you would feel they would feel excited about your product. Then just trust that the other stuff will fall into place because it will, it will. When I, I knew I wanted a, a brand that was made from 100% recycled material, my first product run was not 100% recycled material. It was clear, it was close, but it wasn't. But I knew I would get there within one or two manufacturing runs. I, there are so many things I didn't have the answer to before I started. And now, and I just, and, and, it's a, and you take a risk. And the reason it's easier to do when you're running your own business is because it's your risk. Um, and if you can live, you can, you can live with, you can, I can personally find I can live with taking a risk myself better than I can if it has impact on other people. Um, and you just have to trust that you are going to learn a huge amount in the, in the course of your business's launch and establishing itself as a startup. That all those things you don't absolutely have the answer to right now, you definitely will. You definitely will. Or you will find somebody who you can ask for the answer. Because every day you will have a different conversation, you will have a different, you will, you will have a different experience, conversation with a person, you will read a different article, you will listen to a different podcast, and you will know what to do next. But all you ever need to do, to do is the next thing. And, you know, I come back to the thing that Seth Godin said, which is ship the work. If you don't get it out there, if you, then it's nothing. You know, it, it's better to have something that is 70% as good as you want it than nothing at all. So just get on with it is, is overwhelmingly um, my piece of advice. I think if your product, you have to have confidence in your product, but it also won't be your perfect product. You will not launch with your perfect product. And if you, if you do, then you've probably been sitting on it too long. You, you have to get on with it. That's brilliant advice. Thank you so much for that. And I completely agree as well. It's, I'm a big fan of just, just doing it. Just doing it, yeah. And it always works out in the end. Um, well, thank you so much, Nancy. I really appreciate the time you spent and everything that you've shared. It's been absolutely fantastic. Um, so I will link to your website in the show notes. That's herdbags.com for anyone who wants to go there right now and social media and everywhere else. Um but yeah, just thank you. I've really loved talking to you. And thank you so much for all of this. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much for asking me.
Really hope you enjoyed this conversation with Nancy. Do come and find me on Instagram or LinkedIn. It's Vicky Weinberg and um, let's continue the conversation. I would absolutely love to know what you thought. Please do remember to follow this podcast to receive all future episodes as soon as they're launched. If you've been inspired to start a podcast in 2024, I really recommend my podcast host, Captivate. Captivate were my top pick when I started podcasting four years ago because of how easy it was for a complete novice like me to get started. I've stuck with them for the last four years because Captivate is still really simple to use. They keep adding great new features like the ability to share ads like these and they've just been really reliable. So when you're ready to start your own podcast, you can use the link in the show notes and get a free seven day trial with Captivate.